Explain Bands. I'm Olivia Ladd, a music journalist in Nashville, and I'm really curious about retro and cult bands and the history behind their music. Every time I'm out with friends, we end up talking about bands that we love, sharing personal anecdotes and facts, and talking about why we like their music so much. So I decided to record these conversations and create a space where we can go in depth and share with other people who love music. On this show, I pick a band with a cult following and have a guest from the music scene here in Nashville hop on to delve into the history surrounding that band. We go into their discography and give context about not only the music, but also the art, politics, influences, and different forms of media surrounding these artists, in turn, giving you a better understanding about their art. I hope this podcast helps someone find their new favorite band or helps someone learn something new about a band they've always loved. You can follow at Bandsplainer on Twitter to keep up with new episodes, and you can always find more episodes on olivialad.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Bandsplainer, the podcast where we explain bands. Today we are going to talk about the history and mystery that is Animal Collective, the experimental indie pop band that formed in the early 2000s. And our guest today is Patty Greer, my college roommate and dear what friend. What <laughs> music business um connoisseur you could say <laughs> she <laughs> that's my title baby <laughs> that's that's her uh, specific title so i really <laughs> i really wanted to have patty on this podcast because animal collective was one when i started this i definitely like had on a list to do because i feel like a lot of people just have like misconceptions about this band or like have a hard time getting into them patty is like the first person that got me into them because we were college roommates and i we were looking through her vinyl or something like that and i said like i don't get animal collective and she was like literally like no, they're the modern day Grateful Dead. You have to get them. Like, listen they to this are. album, and um, the they're rest the Grateful of, Dead of our generation. They are, and the rest, the rest is history. Okay, so a quick introduction to this band is just that they are an indie pop band that formed in the midst of the indie electronic boom of the early two thousands, right in two thousand three on the East Coast. They consist of Av Tear, Panda Bear. Deacon and Geologist, who are all solo artists on their own, and they're also lifelong best friends. Yeah, so um, their actual names are David Portner, Noah Lennox, Josh Dibb, and Brian Weitz. Weitz? I don't know how to say that. (laughs) And so they grew up all together in Baltimore, and they kind of started working when they lived in Williamsburg, like started like forming an actual band. But the cool thing about this band is that when they're working on music, whether it be touring or like a installation or a whole album, it's always usually a combination. So it can be, they work in groups from two to four. So even if it's just two of them writing, it can be, you know, different combinations of that or three of them or all of them. As with the later albums, I think it's been mostly all of them. They also recruit friends and things like that. So this band is just like experience. So awesome. They are. Um, <laughs> it's just such a community. It is, and it's so they truly are a great example of an artist's community. 
And just like, I, I mean, wouldn't you agree? Like experimental to the core, like everything yeah. they do. Yeah. Oh my God. I first, I also would like to apologize to any girl who like hates Animal Collective because some dude at college tried to explain Animal Collective to you. And uh-uh. I hope this podcast fixes that because they are a cool band. Don't listen to any... That's that's what happened for me with Animal Collective and Radiohead. Like some dude was like, "Dude, you have to listen to Kid A and Meriwether Post Pavilion. It's like basic indie 101." And I was like, "Okay, like these bands are lame." And then I actually listened to them. So like, be be your own pitchfork boyfriend. Like listen just, to your own music. You can you can get into them in so many different ways. I feel like you could just go into one of their solo projects, dip your toes in the water. And then build up to the Papa Bear. Oh, yeah. And you that, that kind of happened, yeah, as well. Like, because I didn't listen to a ton of Animal Collective, but I had always liked like, like, Panda Bear. Yeah, I feel yeah. like you were in, like, slasher flicks, too. And that yeah, was yeah, exactly. And so that's the beauty of Animal Collective is it's this ever-morphing, like, experimental project that just fills every corner of the plane. And there's no one way to, you know, it's not the Beatles. It's not, like, this is their sound. This is what they do. Oh my god, no. I shouldn't have compared the Beatles. People are going to I don't know what, that, no, that's, but like, yeah, no, that's, but like, you know, <laughs> no, that's, no, it's exactly. like, fine, it's because it is just completely the, the opposite. opposite. It's yeah. the complete, Animal Collective is the opposite of the Beatles, okay? We said it. <laughs> okay. They're the Grateful Dead of our generation. They're the Grateful Dead of our generation, and that's what's cool about them is within their solo projects, like, I feel like a lot of people may know, like, especially A.V. Tear and Panda Bear, mm-hmm. like, just their, like, electronic stuff. They do, like, independent DJ sets and have their own albums that kind of cross over into this kind of music. So they do everything from, like, freak folk to straight-up pop to noise rock and art rock and ambient and drone, and they're low-key a jam band. And high they're all these, they're band. high key a jam Every band. band is a jam band. Okay, yeah. Every good band is definitely a jam band. If you <laughs> throw out think... a lot of just declarative statements. <laughs> I am. I'm doing it. Like, <laughs> stand by all of them. I do. I don't back down from that statement. If you really like a band, think about it and then answer, answer just quietly to yourself the question Are they a jam band? And the answer is going to be yes. If you've seen yes. a band live and they have an eight-minute song and you're like, oh, dude, yeah, I could keep listening to this for another eight minutes, they're a jam band. Ty Siegel, jam band. Radiohead, jam, jam band. band. Yola Tango, jam band. Yola Tango is definitely a jam band. Uh, Brooks and Dunn, jam band. <laughs> jam band. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so basically... Shell Crow, jam band. Shell Crow is so a jam band. Dude. She totally Dude. is a jam band. <laughs> Cheryl ain't jamming, she ain't living. (laughs) Okay, so how this band formed is Noah Lennox and Josh Dibbs, so that's Panda Bear and Deacon, met when they were in high school um, on the East Coast in Baltimore, and they had a band called Auto Mine. So Lennox went to another school, and then Deacon met A.V. Terran Geologist, and they... All four of them, when they came home in the summers, started, like, jamming together, kind of. And they weren't really in an official band, but they were, like, they just wanted to be musicians. So they all were, like, we're going to help each other be musicians. And they started taking LSD, as happens. Guys being dudes. Guys being dudes, right? (laughs) They're always doing that. But so they, in many interviews, have talked about how that, like, helped them become better players because they would just sit there and play music for who knows how many hours and whether it was the LSD or the fact that they were practicing for eight hours straight with incredible stamina. Yeah. <laughs> they became better guitar players and better I instrumentalists. Bet I bet they still <laughs> I bet they, I bet they I bet they're 30 years old microdosing. That's good for you, apparently. 
Yeah. Shout out, Andrew. <laughs> so, to me, a really cool thing about this time, so this is like early college, high school, is they said a huge influence for them was Can. And, yes, give it up for give Can. Give it up for Can. I give think I talk can. about Can in every podcast because Can is so cool. <laughs> And they literally, Can is a lot, like, you could, Animal Collective, I feel like there's three bands you could really compare them to, and that's yeah. Grateful Dead, Velvet Underground, and Can. And the Ooh. Can thing here is that Can, so basically, Psychedelic is rooted in blues very much, which comes out of, like, Southern music. Um, so you have in London, you have the London Underground and Nuggets, which is still very much based in blues, and then you have, like, the San Francisco, New York, um, American Psychedelic Bands, you have everything from Jimi Hendrix to 13th floor elevators going on. And then in Germany, you get Krautrock, which is this Hell super yeah. weird genre. Personally, like, kind of my favorite genre. Like, the other day, I, like, Googled just, Kraut like... Krautrock forever. Yeah, it was, like, Krautrock bands. And then every band that came up, I was like, oh, that's my favorite band. Oh, that's, that's like, my favorite band. And then I was like, oh, wait, I think I like Krautrock a lot. I think I'm really into Krautrock. And um, so basically they took away this like blues element where it's rooted in this one type of rock, which is not bad. I could get down to like any psychedelic band, but Can is like avant-garde and they pulled in like jazz and funk and minimalism and made this crazy music. And Can to me is just like the best example of that. And Animal Collective, I feel, pulls a lot from that because even though all this indie pop was happening when Animal Collective was coming about, they took a totally different direction and made something that could also be marketed as commercial into this totally avant-garde crazy art and it's like neoclassical it's unique it's fresh and that's why they're still around you know today in 2018 yeah yeah so these dudes they're all jamming every every day in the summer and then they get into performance art and they had this like group called windy darling it was just like the, it was av tear and geologist uh, so this was kind of their project and they used like a drum machine and made music based on like old movie soundtracks i guess as, as like their inspiration so that's just kind of like an example of some of their first solo projects too portner goes to nyu and then they're all spending their summers in maryland so portner has this like apartment in williamsburg and they are become friends with black dice which is like a big thing for them because that ends up i believe being yeah they that was the first tour they ever went on is they opened for Black Dice. So, so they're also friends with Eric Copeland at this time. And so like all music, the scenes like influence each other. People in the scene influence each other. And this is like a great example of like a creative trade-off happening because Black Dice lived in like a warehouse. And this is where the Velvet Underground comparison could come in because they have this artist curating a scene quite literally in a warehouse, like <laughs> like Andy Warhol's factory. And they're doing these kind of like drone, like avant-garde parties where they all go in a room and there's all this art around that they've all, you know, someone has made. There's high profile people there, there's musicians, there's NYU students, and then they're jamming for hours, you know, going all night. Sometimes this turns into a drone thing, much like the Velvet Underground would. Sometimes this is like quite literally them playing stuff they've rehearsed and uh once again, that's just kind of like the malleability of this band is that it's never like one specific thing going on. 
So this summer, when in 2000, when they were doing all of this, they claim was the basis for their sound from then on. They truly found like their niche in this, once again, avant-garde sound. And they also this summer started doing the face paint thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so they wore like masks and did face paint and makeup, which they ended up phasing out like six years later because they said it was too gimmicky. But originally that was kind of their like part of their self-expression was this crazy outward appearance to go with this totally out of bounds music. Mm -hmm. They go on tour with Black Dice, which later gets turned into their first live album, released in 2002. Okay, so they release Spirit, They're Gone, They Vanish soon after this in 2001, right before that live album. This album is super dense. It's like a, I would look at it as like a soundscape. Like if you're looking at sound on like a a, a plane with four lines, you're filling in every corner on this This is like their first record, so it's obviously not the sound they go with forever. But if you look back at this record, you're seeing a lot of stuff that kind of shows up again throughout their music. It's like a really good prerequisite for what they're doing because you have everyone whistling and Spirit They Vanish, like the title track. Yeah, so you have really electronically influenced, like heavy album. And then they start taking a new direction in the next years. So they release... I can't ever say this correctly. Holland Hollandaise sauce. Holland again. <laughs> and here comes the Indian, which is like a really popular one. And then we get into Sung Tongs, Woo-hoo! which comes out 2004. And this album is like so important, maybe just to my life, but also just in general. No, that, it's like oh so my important. God. They've already sold out two nights just performing some Really? Yeah. 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 They released this in 2004, and I would like to take a moment to reflect on Sung Tongs. So, so many good individual <laughs> songs here. But so, what they did is they were playing this crazy, like, electronic, like, really heavy music, like just full of different sounds. And they go the complete opposite on sung tongs. It's literally like guys playing acoustic guitar and yelling. Like the first time I heard it, I was like, I don't get it. I was like, are they just yelling over acoustic guitar? Like what? And then I, then I got it. (laughs) Then I like kept listening to it. (laughs) So it's like a totally different format. So really what they're pushing here. In earlier years, they're pushing this new way of creating sound, and here they're pushing a new way of delivering sound. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the context you need to understand it. You have the song College that's literally them just going like, la, 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 and then all they say is like, (laughs) you don't have to go to college, and then it's like, you know, like a harmonized just outro. The track Leaf House on Sung Tongs. When you listen to it, it doesn't sound like... I don't know. The first, like, so many times I listened to it, I didn't actually get what was happening. But it's about the boys losing their cat and how sad they are. Because, like, if you listen to it, they're like, I don't know, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> but it's, uh, like, it's one of those songs where the lyrics <laughs> are used as a means to an end rather than Ooh. for lyrical content. And I think that's... No, it's lyrical um, content. They lost their cat and they're well, sad. Well, no, it's lyrical <laughs> content, but it's almost... Um, it's kind of like Radiohead has these ridiculous lyrics... 
but it's like you the, don't even notice <laughs> well yeah the sonic quality is using the vocals those lyrics as an instrument to deliver like a like a rhythm to the music or like a new melody in the music and that's what they did here is so like it's like a funny lyrical thing that's hidden that no mm-hmm. one may ever think about but also the way they're forming words with their like literally with yeah. their mouth creates a yeah. sound that's viable it makes it an instrument it goes beyond like telling a story and i think that's another thing about like just animal collective sonic quality is like once again they're like filling the plane with like every every Fill type of sound yeah honestly <laughs> enter the void animal collective <laughs> fills my void my favorite on this one is who could win a rabbit i think it's just like such a crazy song because it's what's crazy about this album is it is an animal collective album you can tell it sounds like their old stuff but it's mm-hmm. not at all it's literally yeah. acustic like, yeah it's, it's crazy so it's so good so what's incredible here is even though this is a super weird album that kind of has to be understood in context of all their other work because alone it would just be a bad acoustic band kind of um is their harmonies oh. are incredible like yeah. on this and they have these incredible harmonies and everything is so like in tune which kind of odes to their like neoclassical like kind of composition element is that they really do compose these like wonderful songs even when they're drawn out and like 13 minutes long like visiting Francis high key jam Sung Tongs is like one of my favorite and so these guys Animal Collective has nine studio albums and literally so many EPs I like couldn't figure out how many they have exactly well, all the EPs usually come as like a partner yeah like yeah exactly and that's my favorite part because it's um, like a present no that is a cool like a thing because they'll more than just releasing a single they do put out kind of like this EP that like sometimes it's a totally op- opposite sounding thing and mm-hmm. they'll release like four songs and then put out the record or like right after um but that's cool so yeah like i i feel like we can't even go over every single album in detail so i'm just gonna kind of hit the important ones on this one but um sung tongs is so important i think you should if you're gonna like go in order here yeah what listen, would you say what would you say was the top three things you should listen to oh like, wow. record or ep Oh, wow. I Well, I feel like we're going to get into some of this later, but I would say I would listen to Meriwether Post Pavilion because that's the most, like, familiar. That one you're taking, like you're taking with some familiarity because it's a lot like other indie pop. Yeah, it's the most accessible. Okay, that's, yeah, that's the word. So Meriwether Post Pavilion is the most accessible. You would listen to it and probably know some of the songs, first of all. Second of all, it would be familiar enough to not, like, turn you away from them. And then I would probably... I like Strawberry Jam. (laughs) Okay, so the EP I would listen to is Fall Be Kind, released in 2009. Because of What Would I Want Sky, which Ooh. which we will get into in a moment. Ooh. The third thing I think people should listen to probably would be Strawberry Jam. We're going to 2007. So that's when they put out Strawberry Jam. And this was Pitchfork's album of the year in 2007. That's hype. Pitchfork, pitchfork time that's, that's like pitchfork's still credible <laughs> right <laughs> 2007 strawberry jam fireworks is a great song mm-hmm. on its own it's seven minutes long and i think even when i didn't like animal collective i love the song fireworks yeah. that was on my like party playlist like that's like a go-to <laughs> but Source like you pop. have like cuckoo cuckoo number one fireworks uh for reverend green 
maybe the best song of 2007. I don't know. <laughs> so I think you should listen to the 2009 EP, Fall Be Kind, which was released a little bit after Meriwether Post Pavilion, which we'll talk about as their like obviously most accessible album. So the reason you should listen to this EP is because altogether it's great, but the singular song, What Would I Want Sky, Seven Minute Jam. It's a question. It's What Would I Want Sky? Yeah, so first of all, yeah, <laughs> honestly, the title of the song well, kind I of like is an yeah. allusion to the sound, like what would you want, Sky? It's kind of this endless, endless sound. Um, so the coolest thing about this song is that, first of all, <laughs> first of all, it was debuted live, um, and that's cool. It's a very jam band move, very, very Grateful Dead Velvet Underground Very Grateful move. Dead, um, some may say. Yeah, some may say. <laughs> the Grateful um, Dead of our generation. The reason I would say they're the Grateful Dead of our generation is this song, specifically. This is definitely, if you catch me out, I'll say that statement, and that's this is my only fallback, though, on it. <laughs> this is the biggest... I'm just like, listen, what would I want, Sky? Yeah, that's <laughs> the biggest piece of evidence, because what would I want, Sky, off of Fall Be Kind, is the only song, the first and only song in the history of music that has a legal Grateful Dead sample. And oh my god, how cool do you have to be to get the only approval from, like, Bob Ware mm-hmm. to, like, use their song and make money off of it and they're like you know what you deserve it it just feels like such like a friendship thing and like so just like it's just so respectful it's like i don't know like these like dudes that have been around for so long that have done so much for music it's like literally giving you all of their approval and the thing about this is like you sampling happens all the time obviously usually it's not a big deal it might mm-hmm. be cool like for me it's cool that like kanye samples can and yeah. like stuff like that and arthur yeah. russell um but this one i feel like of all <laughs> arthur russell. he does he does kanye he does. samples arthur russell and it's awesome on tlop um we can talk about that album later and i'll probably get a lot of mean emails <laughs> so uh this song does it justice oh my god I think it, I, it just it, I think does, it makes it marriage. into a new piece of art it makes it beyond both of their just abilities as fans it's yeah uh incredible incredible love animal collective they deserve it baby and co yeah and so yeah you have them sampling like the greatest band in the american psychedelic movement and in, in my opinion and um you know, say what you want about the Grateful Dead. No, but like, don't say what you want, because I'm coming to your home. I'm going to email you about it. I will email you about um, it. So say what you, you don't want. like Grateful Dead, you don't get it. You actually like, don't? Okay. Like, it's fine. We can talk say about that. Say what you that. want about, like, fish. Say what you want about whatever. No. But, like, if you don't like Grateful Dead, you probably don't get a lot of other because things. Because you also aren't, you're not going through the full discography. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? No, like, and you're, that's, like, just basing yeah. off of hearing, like, like, Friend of the devil, and you're just yeah. Like, it's oh, like okay, so you've heard wait. sugar magnolias, okay. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Let's talk deeper cuts, okay? Then you can let's talk, talk to me. Funk. Let's talk new Minglewood blues, and then yes, talk baby, to shake me. down street. <laughs> but also, maybe we should be talking about Grateful Dead. You're right? No, I'm kidding. Animal Collective is awesome. You wouldn't have a lot of the bands you have right now if it weren't for Grateful Dead. Totally. And I'm not talking about fish. I'm talking about like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I even like, know. There's so many. There's the so truth. many. That's yeah. the thing. You wouldn't have a lot of psychedelic influence bands now. And like a band, little yeah. band called Tame and Paul. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tame and Paul is the I will I I can't share my opinions on Tame and Paul on this podcast, actually. What's I up? Lonerism's cool. She mad. No, Lonerism is cool because you recorded alone in his bedroom. 
I don't like modern Tame Impala where people are like, oh, dude, no. you like psychedelic music? And I'm like, okay, let's talk Black Angels and uh, Brian yeah. Jonestown and like then then we'll then talk we'll psychedelic, in. but you can listen to Tame Impala and go to Pitchfork, but have Delicate fun. Steve. I feel like that's a... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so now that we've gotten so off topic. Um, so Back to it. Meriwether Post Pavilion is named after the the historic... Meriwether Post, Post Pavilion. Pavilion. <laughs> um, and this album is really, really, really important to indie rock. You have a lot of singles. I'm literally getting goosebumps right now just thinking just about Just thinking it. about it literally gives me goosebumps. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to this album... I just know, like, I know My Girls is obviously, like, the single that everyone knows all the time, like, whatever, but when you actually think about My Girls and, like, what it's about, I actually tear up every single time. No, same, and this song, this is a song that, like, this intro literally just feels like, uh, I don't know, it's like bubbles fizzing to the top. Yeah, it's like, it's like puts goosebumps on the back of your neck because My Girls is a song about like kind of romance and minimalism to me. And so the lyrics are quite literally, um, he's like, I don't need... It's a song like his future... His future family. Yeah, like, and so he's writing about... It, uh, a oh. lot of people might look at it as, like, maybe even anti-capitalism, which is a little bit of a stretch, but it's it. kind of about, like, the simplicity, like, all, all you need, and it's the sweetest song, and you wouldn't... It's not, like, a normal love song. It's not a coffee shop love song. It's a cool animal collective, like, song about, like, what you need. So the lyrics are literally, I don't need to seem like I care about material things, like a social stance. All I want is four walls... And and Adobe slats for my girls. And like, <laughs> I'm gonna cry. I know! It's so simple! <laughs> and it's like, all, all I want is four walls and Adobe slats for my girls. Like, all he wants is a family and a simple house, and that's enough. And to be able to be in this super <laughs> successful band and like, say uh, that's enough, like, that's all you want. That's all you want. That's all any of us should want, I guess, really, right. at the end of the day. But then you also have really great songs on here, like Summertime Clothes and Brother Sport, I think is probably... The bop. Is truly a bop. That's probably one everyone knows if you listen to any indie music when you were... I, I don't know. I, I was in high school um, when... In you 2009, yeah, when, when indie music was in the boom. I think I actually found A.V. Tear before I found Animal Collective because it was... Uh, Way back when, it was like 8th grade when Urban Outfitters would release a playlist on (laughs) iTunes that you could download for free. And so like, where do you find music? Yeah, (laughs) no, that's how I definitely found Panda Bear on Tumblr. And then then I was like, okay, that's how I found all my music was Tumblr because I feel like I say this in every podcast, but I grew up like... I, I heard some cool music. Like, my mom played Sweet Dreams by Eurythmics probably every day, and that's still, like, my favorite mm-hmm. song. It definitely explains a lot. But most of the music I was listening to was kind of, like, country or, like, contemporary Christian. And then, like, Bob Dylan, which also explains a lot. But, uh, so, when I was getting into music, it was definitely whatever I found on Tumblr because I'm also, like, I don't know. I, yeah. I, just, I don't know. And that's the cool thing about doing this podcast is it's, like, definitely, like, a very millennial view of all these things. But I think it's totally. cool to take the time and research things that you weren't there for and learn about them and explain it through a lens of, like, having new music there, too. Because there's more so to be said about these yeah. bands now because there's 
bands that have come from them. The branches are longer, so I think it's a cool thing. Totally. Yeah. So after Meriwether Post Pavilion was released, they put out Odd Sack, which is a visual record with the director Danny Perez, and this premiered yeah. at Sundance in 2010. It was super cool. So this is something I feel is like some some big ears shit that you would see at Hell yeah. ears. Um, so oh they combined God. like 60s psychedelia Wait, visuals. Wait, what year was it? 2010. Okay. A lot of people like Pitchfork, Spin, all these people, this is when they start getting mainstream attention, which they always kind of had huge attention in the indie circuit. Just the fact that they started out in like Baltimore, New York really gave them this platform with all their friends and they were already touring and all these things. But this is when like people, I think this really caught the attention of more than their target audience to me because they branch out into this weird visual thing and they readopt. It's kind of like if someone from now discovered all the 60s psychedelia, like beyond pop art for the first time and then they make it, once again, they take something that already is and make it into something even greater. Well, it's also just like, I love Beyonce. No, I'm not, like, saying anything here. But it's, like, when all these people started doing visual albums in the past, like, two or three years, it's, like, it's been happening for a minute. Yeah. Even before Odd Sack and stuff. It's just, like, this is, that isn't groundbreaking. It's still really cool. That was just on such, like, a mainstream level. Like, I don't know, when Odd Sack happened, and it was, like, me and, like, four of my girlfriends in a loft just, like, watching Odd Sack. Yeah, like, we had to, like, find it, stream it somewhere, like... Oh, no, it's definitely cooler. And uh, and that's the thing. It's so not only was this kind of like not a thing a lot of people were doing, I think from a monetary standpoint, even maybe like you're if you're in an indie band and you're trying to appease this major record label while still mm-hmm. having indie cred, you're not going to put all your time into a visual record. Yeah. And they did. And that's so cool. And well, like, yeah. and it's 60s psychedelia, which is like this, they're reinventing this thing that wasn't popular, was fading out. The whole like psychedelic thing has only been you know, post-2010 yeah. to me kind of made a resurgence other than, like, this, you know, group of people that grew up in the 90s. But for mm-hmm. people like us, like, I was born in the late 90s. Like, I wasn't there for most of music. This is, like, a rebirth of all that. And so it's things I liked from old music that I knew more about. And uh, it's cool. You should watch it. it. You should totally watch it. It's I so cool. I any artist that, like, keeps a full, like, community of everything. Yeah, like, of ideas. And yeah. it's a way to translate the translate those ideas into something. Um, and that's like Patty Smith and Robert Maplethorpe like wanted to not just be a photographer and a singer. Mm-hmm. They did like a, just like so a well video. Rounded. Yeah. I think it's also just, you know, good for the soul. It is, <laughs> you know? it is to do stuff like that. And so again with Danny Perez and I guess yeah, it was still in two thousand ten. This is cool because Patty and I just went to the Guggenheim. Yeah, we did. We went to the Guggenheim and we did a cool VR exhibit. And we it was did. super cool. Um, and I had never been to New York before that, so that was awesome. Anyway, <laughs> so Danny Perez, once again with them, they did this performance art piece called Transverse Temporal Gyrus. And temporal gyrus is the part of the brain where sound physically enters the brain matter before it's translated into something meaningful. And this is cool to think about on a very like micro level. Like this is like, you know, when you hear something, you instantly hear it and it's mm-hmm. all translating your brain to make sense there's no lag so it's cool that this album focuses on the moment where it doesn't even make sense where like it goes past your eardrum physically enters the brain matter such like a micro like part of like 
some heady shit. Create some creativity, <laughs> you know? And so anyway, so they performed transverse temporal gyrus at the Guggenheim, and it takes up the entire Guggenheim. And they have lights and sound and people standing everywhere on all the levels of the spiral. And like, after being there, I can't imagine how cool that would be. And to be in such a historic place with like such historic art around you, making new art and filling the space with the sound and light and insanity um, it's really cool and so that uh you can actually if you can find it i'm sure it's on the internet somewhere i don't think it's on like spotify but give it a goo um yeah records it became a record store day release two years later on like a 12 inch vinyl Mm -hmm. so that's really cool you can find that look it up so after that they uh moved back to baltimore because they wanted to kind of like reset and they wanted to write together because for a while they had written all these albums but they were basically performing all these things they had just done live or for an album that they hadn't like written new songs in a while Mm -hmm. so they moved back and then uh they actually played at Coachella that year so in 2015 they released another live album live at 9 30 hell yeah um and like a lot of the bands in this podcast people will release a live album later in the career and it kind of shows their growth so you can really literally go back and listen to the album Album that was released in 2002 the live album and then listen to this and see was like live at 9 30 yeah uh live at 9 30 is the one they released in 2015 mm-hmm. and you can like that's so cool like you can see how much they've changed and grown as a band and this one they also all four were really together for and that's this that. is one kind of this has my box set of that <laughs> <laughs> that's no one pissed me off you're listening um, <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast please like, return take that back patty's box <laughs> set of live at 9 30 never given it to you in 2015 they had reset rewritten all this music and they had painting with so that's really cool and this actually premiered over the speakers at the baltimore airport which is really interesting like i think this is cool and this is another point i want to bring in which yeah actually relates back to the temporal gyrus thing is that animal collective like a lot of bands in this canon release their things in a creative way so once again on the point of sung tongs where we're talking about like delivery of sound this is kind of delivery of medium so they premiered painting with over the baltimore airport speakers before transverse temporal gyrus was a um record story day release so the actual physical performance of that one was released on BitTorrent. and so yeah so this is cool (laughs) because the first album review i ever did when i was 18 and it was the first article i ever wrote for my school paper was a review of tomorrow's modern boxes by tom york and um yeah i had never written about music before that and so that Tomorrow's Modern Boxes, like, all over, anywhere you read, even when I did research, it was, like, this is the first album to ever be, like, purposefully released on BitTorrent with, like, Mm -hmm. a paywall. Yeah. And it wasn't. They, Transverse Temporal Gyrus was released four years before Tomorrow's Modern Boxes. (laughs) They were way ahead of their time, even though they were, you know, in in the present time. Um, And that's cool to me, because I, like, when I was researching this, like, looked up my old review, and I was like, wow, like, I had no idea. And, like, they were ahead of time. York like take that Radiohead like Animal Collective is a to me has a lot of similarities with Radiohead especially like the lyrical thing but like they were ahead of Radiohead (laughs) they did a concert in the historic Guggenheim in New York and then released it on BitTorrent with a paywall 
Hell yeah. How cool. Yeah, Hell so yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so going back to 2015, Painting With, I really love the song Kind of Bonkers. I kinda think bonkers. it's, like, kind of cool to look at because you have vocal harmony that's also really staticky, and you have, mm-hmm. like, a delay um, on this, and it's, like, a lot of texture in the song. It's just a really textural song to listen to and then they're also like screaming on it and yeah it's awesome <laughs> do you like the ep for this one yeah yeah and johnny max um, the track i think yeah and so i think um if you really want to get an animal collective you should totally listen to every album and then listen to the ep after in order and yeah. that would probably take you a really long time but do it but do it if you're gonna do it do it right if you're gonna okay? do it do it right yeah, so in 2012, they released Centipede Hurts, which Woo! is between Meriwether Post Pavilion and their latest studio album. And Centipede Hurts really does get glazed over. A lot of people don't um, like it. I think it's great. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's bad, actually. I feel like I haven't given this one enough time, and I definitely should. But Other this is good. I like the song Applesauce for sure, but I think that may have been a single or something, really? which is probably why I'm conditioned to like that to one. enjoy it. Um, I like Father Time a lot. I don't know. I really like this record. I don't know. I, I get why people don't like it as much, but it was like the first time I got to see Animal Collective live, like not in a festival setting, was on the Centipede Hurts tour, and it was just absolutely life-changing. Yeah, I Absolutely. still have not seen Animal Collective live. Really? Really. And I'm like, I feel like a I fake, would... fake, fake, fake. We have I'm attention, fake. everyone. I, most There's of these fake, bands fake, fake, I haven't been room. able to see live because they're, like, dead. dead. So, um, <laughs> okay. But um, I, I really need to do that. I think... Come to New York. Okay, cool. July. Some I'll they're there. Do, I'll well, be they're there. doing two nights of some I know. Uh, I saw that. I would love to do that. So that's kind of covers all the basic albums. And I think a cool thing here is that, um, first of all, they're Roland users. They're big fans of the mm-hmm. Roland Juno, which is very cool. Uh, I used to own one. And uh, so they also use, in the beginning and even today, use household items as instruments, which is like some My Bloody Valentine shit. Is like, I just love that so much. That's so cool. And then um, also... Another fun fact is, so Panda Bear hates the Beach Boys. Like, he literally hates pet sounds, which is, like, my Twitter handle. Like, I am pet sounds. And that's, like, I I love pet sounds. And um, so, especially when they were in college, they... uh, very anti-beach boy yeah and so like and so they said the song college when they wrote it was made to be like the opposite of everything the beach boys is and i think that's so funny because it's still oh my god uh, and because i think they hate them so much because when they did this like super harmonizing thing Mm -hmm. they get compared to the beach boys because it's like four guys harmonizing and so the irony here is that they use the same studio space as pet sounds was recorded in to record some songs for painting with i didn't know yeah. that and so like apparently panda bear was like pissed about that <laughs> <laughs> like i think that's really funny yeah just to go back like this band totally everything they do is like beyond performance art i think they're really committed to it I think they're really committed to each other. I think they're really they committed are. to their friendship. And, they're, and you um, can hear it. You can every, hear it. And, like, a geologist was, like, he, whenever they took their break to, like, rewrite new songs in between Meriwether Post and Centipede Hertz yeah. and Painting With, a geologist became a lobbyist for ocean conservation Aww. in Congress. Yeah. So it's, like, everything they do is good. Geologist also had, um, I'm trying to remember what line he did it with, but he had these shoes came out that were, like, 
no offense, they're kind of ugly, but I really like the idea of it. He, like, designed these shoes that um, come from, like, old hammocks or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, like, everything they do, they're, like, ex- uh, just experimental, like, recycling, like, so cool. So back in the beginning, and they said even today, they would trade cassettes, and so that's how they wrote music when they were all at different schools or colleges, mm-hmm. Would they would, like play a guitar line or something in a cassette and then someone would record Record over it it. and send it back and forth but also and this is cool to me and patty's friendship is that they are huge advocates for radio as a format and patty and i actually met doing college radio because i i went to an interest meeting and patty worked for the radio and i thought she was super cool and like a cool female role model doing like music <laughs> things and uh, I wanted to like be a part of that and that like actually Aww. really college radio helped kind of helped like kickstart my whole career yeah. because now I like produce you a radio, radio show and I like worked for a couple of radio stations and like it all started back at old WMTS the Party. <laughs> uh, Patty had a show called The Pity Party that I'm sure played lots of Animal Collective. I played hella Animal Collective. <laughs> uh, yeah and Aww. um but I think that's cool that they, like, really advocate for radio. And also with the cassette thing, they would... Oh, God, literally <laughs> crying. They would, um, like, put a cassette player in their radio and, like, record whole radio shows and, like, trade it. And I think that's awesome because radio shows are not only cool for music discovery, but it is an art to put together a radio show with music that complements each other that you hear listeners would hear this song and this song and this song and like them all and I think that's so essential to a radio show whether it's country or whatever I think it's uh it's cool you have to be really smart about it you have to really work hard and so that's cool that they would hear someone else's radio show and that would be an inspiration and they'd have to mail that cassette to their friend at NYU and be like listen to this whole radio show well it's even I mean it's exactly what we're doing right now it's like podcasts are literally just radio shows that now you get to listen to whenever you want to. Oh, yeah. No, it's definitely a form of radio. And that's that's even uh, with the radio show I do, like, um, is, like, it's a streaming radio show. So yeah. it's available on AM, but it's also, like, on a stream. It's kind of collaborative. It has other people's podcasts and all this stuff in it. Anyway, yeah, radio is cool. Radio, also, I've worked in radio. I mean, I'm, st- you know, I'm... Only, All my life. I'm only 22. I've been in radio. But I've been in radio <laughs> since the beginning of college. So that's the only... Um of all the things I've tried to do, like, write, even before writing, like, radio was the one yeah. thing I've been doing forever, not forever, five years. And like um, radio is just, like, when you get to college and you haven't made any friends yet and you're, like, they'll be cool. Yeah, and <laughs> it is cool. And, like, I don't know, I've worked with people in radio that are older than me like mentors and stuff and they've been like when I was working in radio in the 80s and the 90s people like Mm -hmm. oh radio's on the way out it's on the way out well it's 20 it was and then I think it's back well yeah but (laughs) it's 2018 and like it's not on the way out like radio is so important to communities like whether it's top 40 I mean yeah but like (laughs) to me radio kind of brings together this like community feel and like I don't know radio stations are really important because even especially now maybe in an attempt to stay relevant but however especially in Nashville I feel like you have all these events happening that are uh you know sponsored by radio stations and they're bringing live music in and teaching people about music and there's a lot of music literacy and education going on through radio stations and then you have like NPR and, and now with podcasts radio is kind of back in the political canon cool too yeah. yeah and it is cool i think radio is super cool like doing college radio i would just pull records off the shelf like old ones and like throw them on my show and like that's how i discovered 
so much music. I got into the Smiths and, you know, all these bands through that. Mm-hmm. That, I guess we've kind of covered most everything. I feel like... Do you have any specific memories with Animal Collective you want to share? Um, Wow. I feel like a weird one is last summer, mm-hmm. I was in like a very transitional phase and I revisited just the song My Girls over and over and over yeah. again. And I had a playlist. It was actually, so it was during uh, the eclipse last year and Nashville was one of the best places to see it. And I remember making oh. a playlist that was like eclipse and it was just like that song yeah. and like maybe two others. For six hours. And yeah, and I just listened to that and it was kind of a metaphor kind of like the eclipse happening and where I was in life and that song was like a constant right then for me and I think that's my favorite animal collective memory is listening to that in a time where like that's a song I could just process over Mm -hmm. and over and it was really simple for me but also I think like I I wrote down like a list of songs that I thought were like my favorite and a Newtown Burnout has always been, like, a really fun one for me, and I Mm -hmm. feel like I've had some good, like, memories with friends, like, listening to Newtown Burnout, like, dancing around the living room at who knows what time, and yeah, and then also, I think it's worth mentioning the song Floridada, because everyone has such strong opinions on that song. Uh, And it better be that it's a fucking bop, because guess what, bop. (laughs) And also, this song is funny, because there's, like, it's, like, I guess a Reddit, subreddit, like r slash Florida man or mm-hmm. something. Anyway, so uh, A.V. Tara was like listening or reading all these Florida man stories. Mm-hmm. Like Florida man murders wife. Florida man like kills yeah. alligator. Like crazy shit that Florida man stuff does. And so they <laughs> wrote this song to make fun of people in Florida. But once again, because it's Animal Collective, it's so subliminal. Like people didn't uh, get it. Yeah, and uh, Yeah, but I remember I worked at like uh, the school newspaper when that song came out. And I remember like my editors like fighting like someone really loved the song and someone hated it and everyone would just like keep playing it and everyone was just I don't know it was like a big Dude. like contingency of like did this song suck or was it a big it and, came like, out like right when I was like going on a trip to Florida and the girl I was with we did not have similar music tastes like but like kind of like she was fine with it but like like Labouche is her favorite band and like that's it that's it and like <laughs> I played Florida on repeat for at least like six of the eight hours like on the trip she yeah. liked it by the end but and I think like, Animal Collective is a band where I can, like, do that, where, like, I can listen to a song over and over again, and there's so many layers of sound, you hear a different song every time. Yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's cool. Uh, I feel like there's side projects you should get into on your own. For me, Panda Bear is just my favorite. Panda Bear has played Pitchfork, and I don't know. Animal yeah. Collective, I... Honestly, that says, me and uh, some girlfriends we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. We were doing a whole discussion about, like, Grateful Dead, and we were talking about, like, different side projects, like, stemming from there, and then, like, comparing and contrasting Yeah, no, and that's another thing. Like, projects. everyone in Grateful Dead has their own albums, and uh, mm-hmm. also Velvet Underground. You have Lou Reed's yeah. solo stuff and John Kill's solo stuff, and they're all so polar opposite. Yeah. Geologist stuff sounds nothing <laughs> like Panda Bear, and, like, but they also help each uh, other on their yeah. albums, like, and uh, years down the road. I hope they're still doing that. I hope it's kind of like a Lou Reed, John Kill, Songs for Drella thing comes out. But the Animal Collective version, yeah. Because they are best friends, and they're, you know, they rep the East Coast so hard, and they uh, help each other, and, you know. Also, um, I think it's like a Rick Rubin quote, like, the synergy of a band is way more important than the talent. You know what I would love to know? (laughs) (laughs) What are their signs? Oh, wow. Like, I would, I would love think, to know I their would think birth charts. would be a Leo. I would think Panda Bear is probably a Pisces. Panda Bear has to be a water sign. Yeah. I literally need you to Google that. I'll Google what it. Is, what is his <laughs> sign? Because, uh, 
wow, yeah. What what is Panda Bear Zodiac sign? I think this is important. Um, the other day I was looking up Jack White's astrology sign, figured out he was a cancer. Everything made sense. Oh my gosh, you guys, we can have the birth chart. I have the birth chart of Panda Bear right here. Boom. Crazy. Bang. What is his birthday? His birthday is. Let me pull the full natal chart. Oh my gosh. Bitch is a Gemini. Oh. <laughs> his Venus is in Leo, so he gets down. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I think there's no way to fully explain Animal Collective because, you know, part of art is the interpretation, and for you, some random album may resonate with you more than any of the ones we talked about, Mm -hmm. and I think you should give Animal Collective a chance. I also think you should get a time machine, go back to high school, get into them in high school, because... That's, what That's you're the best to. way. That's the best time. Uh, to be it's a lot them. like Grateful Dead. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta really get into them. And you I gotta get in early. Um, then you're stuck. <laughs> yeah, I know I'm trapped in this, but thankfully they're unproblematic. I'm like I just remember every other yeah, favorite band I've yeah. ever had. For <laughs> one time, like one of my best friends growing up, I have everything to thank for like half the music I still love. I just remember like being at her lake house and sitting on the dock and listening to like Purple Bottle. Like, that's one that we, like, repeated a lot. I think freshman year of college, like, especially going to an art school, like a music business school. Yeah. That's where I, like, all the music I listened to then made the basis for what I like now in Animal Collective, like, especially Strawberry Jam. Strawberry (laughs) Jam, baby! It was really big for me, and now it, like, makes sense that I like, like, all the stuff I like now. And Co. Forever. Yeah, and I think also this uh, when I earlier <laughs> when I was talking about how Can was an influence to them. I was in the Animal Collective before I was in the Can, and I think uh, my one of my other favorite bands like Brian Jones Home Massacre, which I did a podcast on. Those two Blood. combined when I heard Can, yeah, when I heard Ige Bamyasi, I was like, oh shit! Like I get Animal Collective even more now, and it. Mm-hmm. it you know, back and forth, back and forth, it all feeds into each other. Anyway, listen to Can, listen to Animal Collective. That's what I'm here to tell you. Okay, it. anyway, so I'd like to thank Patty for being on the podcast today. And you guys can uh, find more information about the podcast on my website. Like and subscribe. Um, <laughs> Click like and subscribe, please, on YouTube. No. And um, if you have questions, email me. Don't email me anything mean, please. Email me. Please send email. me an email. If you have a I love emailing. Email Patty. But we hope that you will give Animal Collective a chance and that you may think of them different now. Thank you guys so much. And this has been another episode of Bandsplater.